Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. I know it's a difficulty to, you get home, you worked hard all day long, and you sit down, and then you realize, I have to get up again and go somewhere. I have to dress and whatever. So thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for hearing the invitation of the Holy Spirit to come on down and be with us. Who was not here Tuesday? Just a couple of you. Well, as you heard, my name is Peter Davidson. I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview. Been on staff since 1990. My wife, Jean, and I have been members of the church since uh, 1978. <clears throat> and uh, I have with me tonight, she always comes Friday night to make sure that what I'm going to say is correct. And so uh, my lovely wife, my beautiful girl, Jean, you can stand. Oh, you are. Oh, go ahead, stand. <laughs> well, she's on the short side, you say. Well, there's not much, you know, not that much higher. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Tonight, we'll be speaking about a particular area of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in which he moves upon God's people to become children of God, to be born into the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The ministry of the Holy Spirit causing us to be born again. Now, how many of you have heard the phrase born again before? You've heard it, haven't you? Many of you have heard it. The phrase born again is used by Jesus in John chapter 3. When he's speaking to a man named Nicodemus, he's a priest. In fact, Jesus calls him, you are the teacher of Israel. He's probably the preeminent teacher of those days. And Nicodemus wants to talk about Jesus. You know, you must be from God because no one can do the kinds of miracles that you do unless you're from God. So he recognizes that Jesus is a man of God. So they start talking, and Jesus really takes over the conversation, and he begins his part of it by saying this in verse 3, John chapter 3, verse 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that needs to be registered very deeply, anchored in our minds. Jesus himself tells Nicodemus, unless a person is born again, he what? Cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now notice he didn't say unless a person is a member of Lakeview Christian Center. Unless a person gives a certain amount. Unless a person tries to do the best he can and is sincere. Doesn't say any of that. He says unless a person is born again. He says truly, truly, or your version may say verily, verily, I say to you. Unless a person is born again, you cannot be you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to understand the significance of what he's saying. You notice he says this, truly, truly. He begins the statement, truly, truly. There are several statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels where he'll say either truly, truly, amen, amen, or verily, verily, depending on how it's translated. It's a Hebrew idiomatic phrase. Do you know what I mean by an idiomatic phrase? It's like in New Orleans, what do we say? Way yet. Well, yeah, Mary. Now, you have to remember, Mary, Mary sounds different, but she's from northern St. Bernard Parish. Araby. Well, she worked there enough. Worked there in Araby. Shalmet. 
and I taught high school in Chalmette. That's uptown St. Bernard, okay. And so to say where you at is a New Orleans term meaning what? How are you? What's happening? It's one of those kinds of terms. So truly, truly is a <clears throat> term like that. But it means what I'm going to say is very important. Years ago, I was a high school English teacher, as I said, down in Chalmette. I first was challenged by the fact that I had to relearn the English language the way they spoke it. Chalmation is not English the way we understand English. It's a totally different brand. And so it's an all-girls high school in those days. So I have 150 students a day, 30 per class, five classes. And we're talking about grammar. Adverbs, dangling participles, misplaced modifiers, run-on sentences, semicolons, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And as you would imagine... These young people are excited <laughs> to learn this. I mean, like, ooh, semicolons, oh. Isn't that right? <laughs> and so, you know, they take the notes and whatever. But there's always one thing that I said in the classroom that generated in them an attention that got their attention. Mike, don't you do things in the classroom that get the students' attention? Okay. Yes, he does. He's a teacher. There was always one term that I used to get their attention. We'd be going along, and we're talking about this area of grammar or compository, uh, compository, expository writing, literature, whatever it is. And I would say this. By the way, let me remind you. This is on the final exam. <laughs> right? Now, Joe, do you remember going to school? I mean, I know I did because they showed me pictures of it. <laughs> and those pictures were drawn on cave walls, you know, deep in the earth. <laughs> Soon as they heard those two words, final exam, their ears perked up, their interest perked up. And all of a sudden, Mr. Davidson, could you repeat that again? Could you make sure, you know, could you, we go over this again? Could we? And all of a sudden, they were totally with me, the final exam. Why? Why is the final exam so significant? Because if you don't pass the final exam, you will not graduate. And if you don't graduate, you won't get a good job. And if you don't get a good job, you won't be able to support your family. And so you're going to wind up on skid row, you know, <laughs> starving to death. The final exam is that activity that gathers everything that happens into the classroom and puts it into correct focus. The final exam has to do with who you are as a student. You see that. It's on the final exam. So when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying being born again is on the final exam. In fact, being born again is God's final exam. Every one of us who is breathing in this room. I think everything's okay still with everyone. Every one of us who is breathing will one day, we are guaranteed 
to stand before God himself one day. Guaranteed. Every one of us will stand face to face with God himself. And the only criteria that will be applied to our lives in order to enter into God's eternal presence is not what church you went to. It's not that you took communion or you were baptized. I was baptized. I took communion. We, we did it all. Amen. That wasn't the criteria. There's only one criteria, BJ. You must be born again. For those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit, heaven's door opens and they enter. For those who are not born again, heaven's door remains forever closed. Forever and ever and ever. Never any possibility of opening it on your own. This is the most significant event that you can experience. There's no other event on earth that has eternal consequences. Every other event and activity is anchored on earth and ends its grip over you or its uh, activity over you when you die. It no longer has any ability to have anything to do with you. So Jesus says, you must be born again. In fact, what he does, he repeats himself in verse 7, and he says, you must be born again. So, first thing, are we understanding that our ability to enter heaven has nothing to do with our ability. Did you, did you get that? Our ability to be enter heaven has nothing to do with our ability. Now let's look at what Jesus, why Jesus used the word born again. If you ask the average person, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah, I want to go to heaven. Okay, fine. How do you go to heaven? Well, once you ask that, and perhaps you've been asked this, and perhaps you've answered something like this. We, the typical person begins to give a list of the things that I'm trying to do, or hope I'm going to do, or I want to do, et cetera, et cetera. Correct? We begin to emphasize what I do, my activity in getting myself some way into heaven. But think about the word born. How many of you, now this is a trick question, how many of you have been physically born? Anybody in here? Is everybody, all of you have been physically born? Some of you are looking at one another like you're questioning it. You know, she gave you a funny look there. She wasn't sure about that. Is this your brother over here? <laughs> Did you see the look? <laughs> like that. <laughs> look around the room. Do you see anyone at the table who has not been born? Have you been born? Were you born one time years ago? Right? Yes. You can say yes. Were you born one time? Were you born? Without? Yes. Well, when Jesus says born, he means birth begins a beginning of a new life, doesn't he? How many of us had something to do with our being born? Let's pick on Chad. He's an easy target, real easy. How many kids do you have? Two. Two. Are they boys or girls? This is a test, you see. It's a test. It's okay. Are they here tonight? Are they at the table? Okay. Did either one of these two young fellows have anything whatsoever to do with them being born into this world? 
You sure? Okay. Whose decision was it? It was a decision and activity between a husband and his wife. Spiritually, when Jesus says you must be born again, see, what we want to do is disabuse you of the thought that you had absolutely nothing to do with entering the kingdom of heaven. It's God's work. Jeff, you were born into this world because of the work of your parents. You benefited through someone else's work. And we all do if we're born again. It has nothing to do with the church you go to. It has nothing to do with the way you were raised. It has nothing to do with any religious ceremony whatsoever. It has 100% everything to do with the decision of God the Father sending his Holy Spirit to his people upon this earth and one at a time or maybe in a room several at the same time but individually coming upon his people and birthing them into the kingdom of God. That's being born again. That has to happen if we're going to be with God. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, you can be as religious as you want to. You will not enter the kingdom of God. So tonight, as I share for the next few minutes, I want you to be sensitive to listen in two different ways. First of all, listen cognitively with your cog. Your head. <laughs> you like that, huh, Gary? Listen cognitively with your head. Listen to the information. Listen to the information. Now, what information did I just give you that is the most vital of all? You must be born again. Did you get the information, Kenneth? You got that? That's in your mind, right? Page. You got that? Everybody? Okay. Listen with your mind. But then, as you listen with your mind... Listen with the ears of your heart. Maria, listen with your head and your heart. As I'm giving you information, it's getting into the head. But as that happens, the Holy Spirit may begin to touch your feelings. And your emotions. And your desires. That's what God does. He gives you the information. That you need to know. That he wants you to know. About his son. And as he gives it to you. And you hear this information. All of a sudden. Inside of you. Begins to be churning. A desire. I want this. I want this. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's the same feeling and emotion that you have when you're with someone whom you love. It's a desire what? To want, to want, to want more. So listen with your head and your heart tonight. And for those of you who are, what do you call it, live stream, y'all do the same. And I'm going to Talk about how the Holy Spirit uses Jesus' death and resurrection to communicate three things to us. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit warns us, how he woos us, and how he wins us into the kingdom. He first warns us, secondly he woos us, and then he wins us. So the first thing is the warning. Now, you may think, well, why in the world don't we begin with just saying, you know what? Let me tell everybody, Jesus loves everybody in here and he wants to save everybody in here. We don't begin like that. What does it mean? You see, because what God is doing is creating in us a revelation in my heart and in my mind my need of being born again. 
So when I have that need in me and I realize I have to be born again if I'm going to have eternity with God. When I have that need, I am now going to respond positively and say yes to God's work of bringing me into the kingdom. So he warns us first. The Holy Spirit first warns us. Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church and he says, don't you know. He's writing to believers in the church. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Righteousness has to do with God's personal rightness in everything. It has to do with his personal perfection. And so effectively, what Paul is saying here is this. If you want to go into the kingdom of heaven, here's what you have to be. I didn't say what you have to do. I said what you have to be. You must be perfect, even as your heavenly father are perfect. Now, how many of us are perfect Now, there were a couple of husbands who wanted to raise their hand, but they knew their wires would break their arms. I saw something. Now, wait a minute. God said, I must be perfect. Now, BJ, what does that mean? Is that possible or impossible for you to be perfect in yourself? Impossible. Impossible. God just made getting into heaven Impossible. Impossible. You can't do it. I take my time in saying this because I don't want to just travel through information and speak. I want it to, you know, when you water your garden, hopefully you don't go water and then it all runs off. You water it a little bit of time and let the water do what? Soak in so the roots can get the water. Correct. Now, maybe that's why some of you don't have good gardens. You didn't know that you don't put a fire hose and then that's it. Oh, that's why my garden isn't growing. Now, listen, look at yourself. Think about yourself. How many in this room are perfect as to who we are? Anybody at all? Frank, are you perfect? My wife isn't perfect. In fact, we, not even a newborn baby is perfect because everybody is born with what? What? Original sin. So even when my grandchildren or daughter were born, the moment they were born, they were born imperfect as far as God is concerned. As far as our relationship is concerned, as far as sin is concerned. But the apostle said, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is the consequence? You say, well, if I don't go to heaven, well, you know, whatever. But what is the terrible consequence of not inheriting the kingdom of God? What is the real problem here? Listen to Romans 1.18. Romans 1.18, the Holy Spirit tells us through the Apostle Paul, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God. For those who are not perfect, when they stand before God, if they have not been made perfect, by the work of God himself. They will dwell. In the wrath of God. Forever. Perfection. Perfection. Now suppose you live your life. For a hundred years. And two seconds, one second before you die, 
you commit just one sin. Just one. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? And if you're not perfect, you won't be with God forever. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. Does it seem fair? So let me ask you this way. Your son is not feeling well. And you take him to the doctor. And they do a regimen of tests on him. And they find out that he has a deadly cancer. In six months, he'll be dead. Six months, your grandson. He's gone. He's gone. You'll never see him again. And so the doctor tells you, Joe, look. I'm going to operate on him and I can get most of it out. Okay? Would you be happy about that? Most of it? Wait, wait, say it again. I'm, one more, I didn't hear that. I want it all out. Behave yourself. Wait, you mean to tell me that that doctor... In order to please you and to do right for your grandson, must get rid of every cancer cell that is in his body. That if he leaves one, you're not satisfied? Is that what you're going to tell me? You see, sin is God, the cancer in God's universe. And he's not going to tolerate even one. If there were a medical what do you call experiment? And they said this. We're going to inject just one cancer cell in your body. That's all we're going to do. Just one. We won't put more than one. And we're going to give you a thousand dollars. How much money? How much money to put one cancer cell? What? What, what, what? Just one. No. Just a, it's, just, it's just one. Can one hurt you? The problem is one never stays one. It goes two. But the fact of the matter is we wouldn't take one, would we? And so when we hear about God saying we must be perfect, we say, well, what right is? Oh, that's not fair. Is it fair? Isn't it right? Wouldn't you want your tailor? To have no cancer in him. Would you be satisfied if they left one in? You're radical. You see how radical your love is? Yours is a radical, narrow love. You see what I mean, Grandma? Yes, indeed. Why? Because you love your man. And that's how God is. If there's just one cancer cell in me. Of sin, Bob. God says you're not coming into heaven because everyone in my heaven is totally, completely free of all cancer. Why? Because God's love is a radical love. Do we understand this? So why does the Holy Spirit warn us? He warns us of the danger. Is it when you go to the doctor to get this diagnosis... And the doctor says, well, it's okay. You know, as long as you eat good and this and that and the other thing and you do all right, it'll be all right. Everybody, you know, what kind of a doctor do you want? A doctor that will warn you explicitly and even scare the hell out of you in order to get your attention to do something. Or do you want a doctor who will just kind of smooth it over and, and not make a whole bit a lot about it? Which one do you want? Which, which doctor do you want? Come on, Grandma, which one are you going with? You're going with a rough doctor. You're going with a man who says, let me just tell you, here's what's happening, here's what's going to go, and here, you're going to die. Because that will get your attention to do something about it. Why does the Holy Spirit begin by warning us? Because we're all filled with cancer. 
And he is God's, if you would, doctor. And if he doesn't do that, Miguel, he doesn't love us. You do see that. Do you see that? So now, the Holy Spirit warns us. And once we have been warned, have we been warned tonight? Have you been warned tonight? What is the warning? The unrighteous, anyone who has even one sin in his life or her life, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the doctor's diagnosis. That's God's decree. And we can't get a second opinion on that. It doesn't matter. I've heard people say, well, don't believe that. It's not that radical. Trust me. When Jesus says you must be born again, this is radical as you get. It's as narrow as you get. You have to have it all removed. So now that he's won us, let's talk about him wooing us. So now that we've heard the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. What do we want to know? What should be your question? If an unrighteous person will not inherit the kingdom of God, what obviously, if the doctor says you have cancer, what are you going to ask him? What do I have to do? What has to happen in order for me to get rid of the cancer? What, what do you, doctor, have to do? What do you have to do in me and for me with which I will cooperate? You see, I cannot operate on myself. Because once I put that anesthetized, whatever they call it, on my face, I'm gone. So I can't operate on myself. So, doctor, what must you, what are you going to do with which I am going to cooperate? But you do see it's the doctor's work. But we're yielding to the doctor's work. And as the doctor does his work and as we cooperate with him, right, Em? My oldest granddaughter's name, Emily. So if I ever ask you again, what's your name? I want to hear the name of Emily. <laughs> yes, that's how I think. I think in context of my grandchildren, my daughter, and my wife, and my wife. The Holy Spirit has told us the problem. So how can I become righteous? I didn't say, what do I have to do to become righteous? Doctor, what operation do I have to perform myself to get rid of the cancer? Is that a silly question? Isn't that a silly question? What operation must I do on myself to get rid of my cancer? Well, Peter, what you do if you slit your chest open and would, okay, I'm going to try. And as soon as I put the scaffold and go through, oh, that hurts. I can't do, I can't do it. It's not what do I have to do. Doctor, Holy Spirit, what must be done? What must you do with and with that, with which I cooperate. Do we see the double work here? God does the operation and we do the cooperation. Did you like that, Frank? I, I like that. I, I just thought of that. Write that down. I may use it again. I won't remember it after tonight. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Thank you, Mike. I didn't remember it. So... What must be done? What operation? Here's the operation. The doctor says, you must be born again. That's the operation. He didn't say, well, look, go outside and start jogging two miles a day. Move to another city. You see, it has nothing to do with what I do. Or what I have tried to do. It has everything with God's work of extracting from me. Getting out of me. This deadly cancer. And the only way that happens. Is to be born again. 
You see, we are born again when the Holy Spirit replaces our natural unrighteousness with the very righteousness of God himself. Let me read a scripture. First, Second Corinthians 5.21. Do you have that in your notes? Do you have it written out there? Okay. For our sake, God made Christ. He declared Christ to be sin. Who knew no sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what happens. When the son of God. In the person of Jesus Christ. Goes to the cross. He willingly. And knowingly carries all the sin of all of God's people to the cross with him. How much of the sin? All of it. How much of the cancer? All of it. Did he leave one cell out? Is there even one cell that's left out? No. When the son of God goes to the cross. He willingly and knowingly carries all of the sin of all God's people to the cross. And when Jesus is beaten, nailed to the cross, and suffers the wrath of God on our behalf, he pays the full, you can write this down, Jesus pays the full final and forever price of every single cancer cell in us. There remains no cancer cell unforgiven in us when Jesus says it is finished. In other words, the operation is fully over and is fully successful. So, Joe, back to you. So they come out of the operating room. What do you want to hear from the surgeon? It's a success. Well, Doc, did you get it all? Is that what you're going to ask? Did you get it all? What do you want to hear? Yes. Did Jesus get it all at the cross? Yes. Yes. And because of that, the patient, I, whoever, us in here who are not, who are born again, because of that, God now gives us a full, what do you call it, um, uh, certificate of health. Fully, forever, perfectly healthy. That's our new position. That's our new certificate. That's our new status. What did you and I do to earn that? Nothing. Nothing. See, that's the wooing of God. He sent his son to the cross. So that you and I could have every single cancer cell of sin removed from our mortal bodies for how long forever this doctor will never allow any sin to pollute and kill you he declares us perfect as far as our standing before God is concerned. See the problem is we know we don't act perfectly. But in God's sight he has declared each one for whom Christ has died. As perfectly. Perfectly acceptable before him. Perfect. First John 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from how much? 
all sin. How much sin? That means this. That from the day you were born. And for me I have to go way over here. Way over here. The day I was born. All the way until the day I die. Wherever that is. Over here somewhere. Every sin. Every thought. Every activity. Every attitude. Every desire. Everything that has to do with sin in my life. The things that I do and the things that I don't do. That I should have done. All of it is collected by God. And put on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus. So when I die. There remains no unforgiven sin in me. None. There's no penance for sin. Jesus paid it all. And if he's paid it all, it's illegal to make someone else pay for something that's already been paid for. Isn't it, lawyer? Right? You can go to court and get it thrown out. You have the, what do you call it? The, uh, you get a stamp. Remember years ago, we used to, the, the stamp on the uh, receipt. You have the receipt and it says stamp, paid in full. Well, once you got that, Paid in full. Therefore this verse. And I think it's in your notes. Romans 8.1. Therefore. There is. Therefore now what? No condemnation. May I change the word condemnation to hell. To hell. There is no hell. For those who what? Hmm? Who are in Christ Jesus. There is no hell. For those who have been born again. There's no hell. So. What has God done? He has sent his Holy Spirit. Into our minds and our hearts. To change our old nature of sin. Into his new nature of righteousness. Do you have Ezekiel here? Listen to these words that the Lord says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. You see, all your sin. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. You see, a new heart. The heart of God himself. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. That sinful nature in us that wanted to sin. From, I will remove it from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a living heart. The living presence of God himself. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my news. I mean, my rules. See, this is God's love. What is your heart saying to you as you sit here? I am hoping that if any of you in here have never received Jesus as your Savior, a couple of things. First, tonight, you are convinced, at least by the information, by what the Bible says, that you are in the worst condition that a person can be in. And you have no hope of escape unless you're born again. And I hope having that knowledge, your heart is saying, I need to be born again. I don't want to leave tonight not being born again. I need to be born again. Eternity is too long. It never ends. There's no second chance. You see, are you feeling the Holy Spirit wooing you? And then finally, the Holy Spirit wins us. He's warning us. Then he woos us with the love of God. He woos us with the love of his son who died for us. That's a love. For God so loved the world. That's a love. And then he wins our hearts. Evelyn and Bo were members of the church several years ago. And Bo had, was dying of cancer. And I was... In the room with Bo and Evelyn as she was sitting at the side of her husband in East Jefferson Hospital. And I began to chit chat with her about 
her life with Bo. And I said, Evelyn, how did you and Bo meet? You know, what was going on? She said, you know, when I first met him, I didn't like him. <laughs> but I went out with him anyway because he was the only boy who had a car. <laughs> now, we're talking about in those days, you see, it wasn't like it is today where every family has cars. She said, I went out with him because he had a car. So they went places. But what happened was this. Little did Evelyn know. Bo had designs on her life. He wanted her to be his wife. So he began to woo her with love in order to win her with love. So what he, she said, she said, well, we would go places and he would buy me a little something, a little gift. You know how these little gifts all ladies. <laughs> and, and he would say things, nice things and appreciate it. And she said, she said, my heart began to turn. My heart began to turn. As she experienced this man's love for her, his care, his consistency, his gifts, his kind words, her heart began to become one. He was winning her heart with his love. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then she began to want to be married. She began to want to be married. So there came a day when he said, would you marry me? He asked her. Tonight, you see, the Holy Spirit has warned us and is, has wooed us, showed us that God's love is wooing us and now is winning some of you into his kingdom. You feel, I want to be loved by this God. I want to be loved by this God. I want to be forgiven of all my sin. I want to have the, the sure confidence and security that when I die, I will be with my God forever. I need that. I want that. And so when Bo says, Evelyn, will you marry me? This is what the world would say. I'll cook for you. What kind of an answer is that? Is that the answer you would have wanted? Will you marry me? I'll cook for you. Be careful. Be, be very careful. Be very, very careful. I'll wash your clothes. Or like some people say, you know, I grew up in church. I've known God all my life. Well, let's say Bo and Evelyn lived in a shotgun double. One next to one another. And I've known him. I've known you all my life, Bo. Is that what Bo wants to hear? Because you've known me all my life, now you're my wife. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make any more sense to say, I've known God all my life. doesn't make God your God. Come on, come on. We know better than this. What one answer is Bo looking for when he says, will you marry me? What one word answer is he looking for? Yes. 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 No other answer counts. What is happening here is that Bo is bringing Evelyn to himself and including Evelyn in his life to which Evelyn is cooperating and responding or receiving by saying what? Yes. And so John 1.13 says, to as many as received him about Jesus, he gave them the authority to become sons of God, even for those who believed on his name. 
God is wooing us and winning some tonight. So what is your response? Your response is the same response as every wife in here. When, a husband, when this man asked her to be his wife, what did you say? Yes. Bo made the initiative. Bo loved her. And Bo is coming into her life and in, wanting her to be included in his. And this decision of his is his decision is then completed by her. Yes. Do you see that? She's not asking Bo to be her husband. She is receiving Bo as her husband. Do you see the difference? She's not asking Bo to be her husband. She's receiving Bo. She's saying, yes, she's embracing his embrace. And in doing so, she's trusting him. And she's doing what the Bible says. She repents of sin. She is turning her back on her singleness and embracing marriage. That's what she's doing. And that's where we come to right now. Tonight. As you've been listening to. What God is doing in your life. What do you want to do? Be in touch with your own heart and mind. What do you want? Do you want to continue in the way you have? Unknown. Not sure. Perhaps sure that you're not born again. Or tonight has the Holy Spirit said to you, I love you. I have sent Jesus to die for you. I've done everything necessary. I'm touching your heart. I'm giving you new life. Will you say yes to me? The completion is when we say yes. You know, it kind of, if you would, completes the circle. So let's bow our heads, please. What we'd like to do is ask you to make a decision. Sorry. Yes, to, de to decide to receive Jesus. If this is in your heart to say yes. This is not your work. You're receiving the work of someone else. You're allowing the spiritual doctor of eternity to extract from you that which is killing you. And to give you new, healthy, eternal life. It's called being born again. You're saying yes to him. So if that's your desire to say yes, we would ask that you would just come on down to the front and join Frank. He's going to be praying with you.